Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Triple Takeover Toycast, a fortnightly podcast about vintage and modern Transformers, as well as other toy lines from the 80s and 90s, and occasionally their modern incarnations. As the gold plastic dust settles on another TF Nation, there's no limit as we reach for the Skyquake. Joining me to sign off on all the happenings from this episode are my two co-hosts. First up, a man whose idea of a test shot is a practice glass of rum. Arbless look, it's Liam's <laughs> breakfast from Toybox Soapbox. What ho, that summed me up perfectly. I'm going to put that as my LinkedIn. Alongside him, it's the man whose engineering pilot is the bloke who flies and maintains his private jet. Arbless look, it's Sixo's TF Nation Hall. <laughs> what? And I'm Maz from TF Square One. Injection moulded with a fresh batch of Dayglow plastic inspiration. This week we're talking about the pre-production development of latter-day G1 Transformers from Europe. Lads, any Decepticon shenanigans in your area? Where's Arbalus? You kept referring to him. You kept asking him to look. Where is he? Is he off screen? He's uh, he's been encased in a in a hash brown for eternity. There you go. <laughs> I'll see him yes. at breakfast. It's like carbonite, but a hash brown. <laughs> well, it's got the word carb in it. Yeah, there you go. Carbohydrate, carbonite, it all works. Perfect. Don't need any more than that. Nice and salty. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are, mate. Have you all recovered from TF Nation? Absolutely not at all. No. 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 Not even a little bit. Absolutely ruined, to be completely <laughs> honest, but I don't mind admitting it. Even our voices aren't back to normal yet. No. No. Indeed. There was a point, I think it was a Sunday morning, where uh, I bumped into another Congoer who is uh, Congoer. Is that the right thing? It sounded like someone that does the Congo for a minute. Yeah. Well, we were sharing it with the salsa bunch, so maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yes. Congoer. Uh, who who is in their early 20s, and I was disgusted at how ready to go they appeared to be because I was just feeling absolutely dreadful at that point, feeling uh, every one of my years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, still not recovered several days later, but have been through my hall, so that's something. And uh, yeah, pretty exciting. I'm shattered. I don't think I've slept since. Are you shattered glass? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to grow a little beard and call myself Liam Unicronus. That's it. <laughs> it's drunk Liam, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Arbless look, it's drunk Liam. <laughs> oh, love the idea that for drunk Liam just puts a little fake goatee on. Oh, like a Garth Knight. Do you remember from Knight Rider? Yes. Oh, yeah. Or like or, or Riker did that, didn't he, in Star Trek? Was it his like his clone or whatever, his uh his right, evil yeah. clone? Put on little little like sideburns, didn't he, to pretend to be him or whatever. I don't you know. Yeah. So it's, it's it's from Knight Rider though, isn't it? That's I think that is that where it starts? He's got just um Hasselhoff just gives himself a tiny little goatee. He right. breaks out of jail. It's Garth Knight. I'm not going to lie, Liam. I'd probably pay to see you do that. That's a new patron tier. Right. Okay. There we go. Liam's disguises. Just like, you know, one day I'll just come on with giant eyebrows. See if you notice. Do it as a new mini series. Liam does facial hair. Oh, I yeah. don't have to shave it because it grows too quick. I hate it. I- I'm not convinced you can grow facial hair. Really? Oh my God. I have to shave most days because it grows super quick. That's like the exact opposite. No, no I just can't picture that. That's such a grown-up activity. What a lie that is, honestly. <laughs> that's the exact opposite of what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say, I never have to shave it because it doesn't grow at all. Oh, no. I even took like little miniature shaving stuff to TFN. When did you have time for that? I'm still not convinced you even slept on Friday night. I didn't. That's why I was waking the Saturday morning to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they just vanished on Saturday night. I, was, I probably went to shave now. It makes sense. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Was it on the Sunday morning when, because uh, you'd, you'd, I mean, we were up till very, very late on the, the Saturday night. And, uh, well, it was Sunday morning. Let's put it yeah, that it's way. 4 but, uh, Yeah, yeah. Wasn't far off the sun coming up, I don't think. But the, the, um, 
yeah, then you disappeared, Liam. I think everybody assumed that you'd fallen asleep on the loo. But I think you must have gone to bed or something. I'm not sure. But then you were quite fresh-faced, actually, the next morning. And uh, I was so amazed because, honestly, I just assumed that you would lie in or whatever. But you were up and at them, I think. You were you were downstairs and raring to go. And I was quite impressed. Yeah, I felt great. No, I think what happened is I went to the toilet at some point. I remember going to the toilet and then I woke up the next morning in bed with a pot noodle that I'd made and didn't eat. <laughs> Got a load of empty packets of Monster Munch. I'm assuming I must have came out the toilet instead of coming back. Being so drunk, I just navigated myself back to bed. Brilliant. And just snacked on food and then fall asleep. But I woke up really confused, but felt great. I I got the sense that you were quite drunk because you weren't so much slurring your words as you were just making one monotone sound. (laughs) (laughs) Is that fair to say, Maz? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It was a goner. Yeah. Yeah. I could feel it. It was the days of not sleeping that finally caught up with me. Yeah, for sure. Well, also, we, we had all that anxious energy building up to the panel, and yeah. then we blasted that panel on Friday, and then everything else was just let your hair down, and it all just, you know. It was quite cathartic, wasn't it, actually doing yeah. the panel? It was, yeah, the, I could I could feel like a sort of, not like a weight lifted, but it felt like you relaxed a lot more once the panel was done, for sure. 100%, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like on Friday night, I remember I didn't go to bed till about four. I think I remember I was in I was sat in my room talking to my friend till like and I was wide awake so I was just eating pot noodles again we're having a pot noodle each having a long chat and then I got up to meet you guys for the dealer room very early didn't we mm. and that was fine totally worth it too yeah how worth it was that yeah it really was really was yeah yeah for sure so what a weekend honestly it just feels like a blur now like some sort of mm. bizarre in room 101 yeah <laughs> indeed <laughs> indeed yeah well we were we are hoping to get um we haven't as yet but we're hoping to get a recording of the panel for those that didn't see it but we're going to post it on our patreon aren't we that's what we've said we'll do so hopefully we're going to get a little video of it uh from the fine folks at tfn and uh yeah we will post it on our patreon just another reason to sign up just saying but yeah it was tons of fun i had an absolute blast from start to finish one of my favorite weekends ever like just spending time with you guys it was just amazing and just the whole experience of it and not getting to stop for 30 seconds because people wanted to talk to you and say really nice things oh man it's the energy that was one of the best things about it the amount of people who had so many lovely things to say and were willing to come up and do so it was wonderful and i really hope they all felt how much we appreciated and how welcome they were to come and, and say hi yeah, totally, man. I, I was really touched by so many people just making the effort because, of course, you don't know everybody or whatever, but just so many people that came up and just really nicely just, you know, said how much they enjoyed the podcast. I was really humbled by it. Do you know, I honestly had yep. no idea. Uh, James Marsh said to me uh, in in uh, at one point, he was like, I hope you realize that li- literally everybody here listens to the podcast and they're all buzzing about it. Yeah. And I was like, really? And that was in uh, the men's toilets when there was like three of you in there? Or were you talking about like, generally out of podcast? <laughs> that was Liam. Liam, uh, Liam was a... Uh... Uh, when I was taking a pee and then some, I could hear somebody <laughs> going, you're that guy from Triple Takeover, yeah. aren't you, from Miami? He's also taking a pee. That happened to me as well. I think all three of us at some point had a toilet encounter with someone <laughs> saying nice I, things about I did not. I did oh, not. Okay. Right, you missed no. out. Six hours, the quintessential 3T TFN experience. Yeah, I, f- yeah. I feel... Like that should have happened. I'm not going to say that because then it'll be a thing next year. It's <laughs> just never one set up on you in the lose. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's going. He's going. <laughs> be a cue. <laughs> <laughs> right. I definitely don't need that. Honestly, don't don't need that as part of me. Right. My con going. 
experience there we go con going again but quite apart from people being just very nice and kind i was really moved by a number of people who said how much the show had meant to them and not not in the toilet I don't know, maybe it meant something to them there as well. And you can listen anywhere. That's the whole point of it. But they were very, very... Be very meaningful places. I'm trying to say something nice <laughs> and sentimental. Your... You're absolutely nice ruining it. Say your nice thing. I wasn't the one who said the nice thing. It's about wine gums. Leave the wine gums. You didn't stop you having my wine gums, did it? I only had two. All right, they were quite nice, but I'm not enough to buy a bag of them. I enjoyed them. There was no space for you to buy anything else with that crate of breakfast hot noodles and pringles and coke oh, and pepsi and monster minds that you walked into the tf nation car park see with. i knew i knew we were in for a good weekend when we got out of the car yes firstly it was hilarious that liam couldn't get out because the child lock was on <laughs> but, <laughs> which i'd forgotten to take off but forgotten, secondly right yeah well forgotten it's, it's on all the time in my car but uh it was also hilarious that we got out of the car and you were carrying your crate of pot noodles and crisps and we bumped into Gav, old uh, Gavin, uh, Gavin Spence, who just clocked you and just without breaking a beat, just said, is that your breakfast? <laughs> and I, I've never laughed so hard uh, wow, turning up that? to a hotel in my life, honestly. It was literally the second I got out of the car and turned oh. around as well. It was the very first thing anybody said to me. It just set the tone, honestly. I was it became like, a recurring yes. theme throughout the weekend was people asking me what I've eaten and all that sort of thing. Yeah, man. I think they all saw you with a plate of nine hash browns and half a tomato, though. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah. You look like you were enjoying it, to be fair. Had that half a tomato, get them vitamins. It's a fruit. But, like I, I was trying to say... Yeah, what was your nice thing? Yeah. Thank you for those of you who came up to us and, and shared why the podcast is, is more than just some TF listening to you and how much you appreciate it. That uh, really makes a difference to us and it reminds us that it's not just um, a total waste of our free time <laughs> that we're doing this and that it does actually resonate with people and it, it does affect them positively just the same way as it does us. So thank you all for coming. Thank you for supporting us at the at the panel. Thank you for coming to the panel. If you don't listen to the podcast and have since signed up, that's just perfect. We couldn't ask for more. And thank you to TF Nation for giving us everything we needed to do the best job we could. And they really did look after us. It was utterly yeah, magnificent. Mm. They were amazing. They really were. And, and yeah, here, here. What, what else can you say? Yeah, it was it was nice to hear that there were people that had been to the panel that came up to us and said afterwards, I've actually never listened to you guys before. I've, you know, they'd heard about it or whatever, but it was the panel that has convinced them to now go on and listen to the actual show. Mm. Uh, one guy even said to us, didn't he? He was like, I might sign up to your Patreon. Yeah. Just literally having seen the show and that was it. That was the toilet encounter I had as well. That, that was guy it? Said, yeah, he said the same thing. We had like a 50-minute chat about stuff. And he said, you know, after listening to your panel, I'm really interested. And I think I will sign up to your Patreon. But he'd listened to 10 of the episodes before because somebody had told him before coming up about it. Right. So, That's pretty cool. But he said he really fancied signing up to the Patreon. Great. Great. I was so drunk, yeah. I forgot we had one. So when he flagged it, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go here, get exclusive content. You are, five glorious years. <laughs> you are a credit. You are a credit. You know that. Is, <laughs> wow. Let's just dress him up in merch next year. <laughs> Make sure it Absolutely. Strap those leggings on him. Yeah. I, would, I would like to give a special shout out to that checkout lady from Sainsbury's for that box as well. That helped me out when there were no bags. Yeah. Well, she really set you up with that. Honestly, yeah, it could yeah, have been really more did, perfect yeah. if, it, if we tried. Yeah. But everyone, everyone was amazing. There were so many people that we know, so many people we didn't know. It's just everywhere you looked, wasn't it? It was just somebody wanted to talk to you or just had so many nice things. It was just incredible. There, there were still people that I somehow didn't as always is right. the case actually when you think about it but i still somehow didn't manage to get enough time with yeah. or really any time with you know there were people that i saw just like the once there's like a fleeting thing 
And, you know, I sort of come home, I'm like, how did I not speak to them? Right. But it's just, it's the whole thing's so busy, isn't it? I think I said to someone once that this is, uh, like, in a weird way, kind of reminds me of my wedding day, which I appreciate is a weird analogy. No, I totally um, get that. I absolutely get that. Yeah. Just that, like, being pulled from pillar to post thing, you know? And it's like, I always remember my wedding day just being like a total blur because it was like just chatting to people that we'd obviously invited and not really getting enough time with any one single person, even though we had a great time. And this was just sort of the same thing, wasn't it? Because you were constantly like, where's so-and-so? I'll catch up with them or, oh, hello to you. And and it just mm-hmm. mad, absolutely mad. That time someone said to me, it's like, oh, I was going to ask this at the panel and just ask you a question. I was like, that's really good. Yeah. I quite enjoyed that. That was nice. Yeah, and just around the corner as well, like people showing us what they'd bought and like what we think of yeah. what they'd bought. Like one dude had, bought... had his toys. Yes, some people were extraordinarily generous. Actually, um, big shout out to Dave who gifted me a, an MP3 Ghost Starscream masterpiece. Mm. How could you, mate? Did you get it home? It's home. It's totally fantastic and it's glorious. Like my daughter is totally besotted with it already, and uh... because it looks like Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Andy, you, you're amazing as well. Thank you so much as well there. What, what you said and, and what you did, just unbelievable. Uh, very, very grateful to, to all these people who just have an unending level of enthusiasm and generosity and make this community what it is and make it possible for us to do this every week without missing a beat. Yeah, I was came home on a real high. What can I say? It was um, very, very touching overall. Just the number of people that were so enthusiastic about the yeah. podcast and just, yeah. But, you know, even even silly stuff like just coming up to us in the dealer room and opening a bag and showing us what they bought and being like, yeah, this is your fault. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> in, that, in that kind of way that people do. The dude who bought the G1 Hot Rod and Palmar stopped him as Prime. Yeah. Good on you, mate. And I hope you love him. He seemed happy. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, he did. Did. It's just wonderful. I quite enjoyed waking up on Saturday morning to Twitter and all these people telling me they were buying G1 Blur or defending you yes. <laughs> just wait till next year and bloody titanium megatron mate oh, oh yeah i'm so relieved that'll be the next thing which fancy dan bought which <laughs> is just a really funny moment <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah hope, hopefully it'll be on again next year and yes. who knows hopefully we get a chance to do another panel that was uh was some suggestion of it wasn't it of doing a kind of repeat performance at some yeah. point and just to be clear, it wasn't just like the panel and, and the 3T stuff that made it an amazing experience. We spent an no. awful lot of time sitting with our with our own best mates from years past and just the hours flew away on those evenings, just catching up with amazing human beings and friends. Mm. Even sharing the journey there with you guys and, and back with those guys was absolute highlights of, and always is. The journey to and from TF Nation is, is always part of the fun as well. And it didn't let, didn't let me down this time. It's stuff like going for dinner and lunch as well, even that, you know, just going yeah. somewhere quiet with your good friends and just having a right, right little natural away from it and just catching up and stuff. It was just yeah. wonderful. And everybody was brilliant. And, you know, the TFN staff were just amazing, they were, weren't they? Like, yeah. It was yeah. fantastic. We were so really, lucky. Really they are amazing yeah. people. Yeah, they had some real challenges this year as well, more than any of them deserve to have to handle. A big shout out to Rob for being an absolute superhero. And yes. uh, I hope everything works out with his, uh, with his birthday presents too. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. And to, and a big shout out to Nick, because that's where every time I turned around and blinked, he was there. I don't know how he covered every part of that building constantly. I still came for lunch. Yeah, absolutely. And Nick and the, and the Mapes brothers really, really did us yeah. a solid as well on the Friday. They did. Good people, good times. I would just like to say quickly, nice Ivan Zandi. I'm so gutted I didn't get to really speak to him at TFN. I saw him 
so many times, you know, just and said hello without really getting to chat to him. Even with his outstanding Diaclone attire. Yeah, mm. I said well, I said to him in person, you and Matt look like twins in your matching T-shirts. That's <laughs> well, we coordinated so that I would, you know, wouldn't be wearing the same one on the same day. <laughs> That's dedication. Yep. It's like when you're kids and your mum buys you and your brother the same clothes, isn't it? Well, <laughs> mum didn't holiday. buy us the same toys. He was sat there in the bar with his Battle Convoy V-Max and his massive Waruda Giganto. I didn't get those. Yeah, it's yeah, like you weren't carrying around a toys. boxed MP3 Starscream in a Battle Convoy. I was like Liam at Christmas when his cousin got Scorponok. Oh. That was what it felt like. The darkest day. Well, of course, we are sponsored, as ever, by the wonderful tfsource.com. So do check them out for all your Transformers and third-party needs. We'll do a longer section on them in the middle of the pod and take a look at what they've got in stock and up for pre-order right now. But thank you to them, as ever. And then we've got our freshly revamped Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash triple takeover. As you may have seen, uh, both at TF Nation and since, we have expanded our offering to five tiers. Apologetic Ramp remains as it was. Man in Pig also remains as it was, except now you get the episodes a whole week earlier. So instead of just the Thursday before open launch, it's the Tuesday before open launch, a whole week earlier. And you might be listening to this a whole week earlier. And then we've uh, retired Rats and Cats, and instead we now have Inner Beast. And that gives you everything that Rats and Cats did, as well as the earlier, early access and access to a Discord server as well, where, you know, we'll keep up with you guys and we'll chat with you guys. And of course, our Sixos Butler uh, level patrons, you still get the mini-sode commissions where you can commission us to do an episode. And these regularly run longer than the advertised 20 minutes. Then they could quite often go to 40, 45 minutes. So there's a lot of content there. And of course, that's fortnightly exclusive content. Best part is it's now cheaper than it was before. And of course, you get the Discord server access and our brand new glittering fifth tier gold box classics where you get weekly exclusive content. And this is not just an extra mini-sode every two weeks. You can also have access to the new Triple Takeover mini-series, which is episodic, almost stories. Uh, for example, Sixo reading IDW's More Than Meets the Eye comics, and we talk about that regularly, or me collecting Unicron trilogy toys, and we talk about that, or uh, Liam collecting Boglins, or whatever it might be that week, Fiendish Feet, <laughs> and him talking about various 80s toys. So this is extra content, which is a different style to our mini-sodes, and we think it's absolutely brilliant value. And you can also do regular Q&As uh, on Discord with us. So there's loads of stuff there. I've I got to tell you, that mini-series, that first one, I had such a laugh recording That's it. It's just blast. brilliant. Total blast. Total, total blast recording it. And actually really good fun to listen back to as well, do you know what mm. I mean? And uh, as I was editing it and everything. And uh, just great. Really, really good. Really excited to kind of get some feedback on that. It goes, uh, yes. yeah. I mean, it will already be live when this episode is live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great. And a big thank you to everyone who's already signed up to, to GBC, Goldbox oh, Classes. Man. We are actually a little bit stunned and massively thrilled at how many of you yeah. have just taken that jump. And some, some of you have gone straight in <laughs> with your first patron experience to GBC. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Honestly, we put the tiers live, uh, the new tiers on Patreon, sent a note saying, okay, new tiers are live. And within like three or four minutes, it was like, boom, 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 boom. You know, we had six of those butlers upgrading to, to GBC. And uh, just it was just wonderful, honestly, to kind of witness. And I, I guess for us, again, very humbling because, I don't know, it's just mad to think that people are so up for hearing more of us talk. It was lovely. Thank you. And it's that time of the show now. We have to consult the old official triple takeover file of facts here. Let's see what's in here. You know, a couple of pogs, some football stickers. 
Challenge Annika <laughs> episode guide. Ah, yes. According to this file of facts, if you check out our Rebel store, you can get some triple takeover merch. And a few people actually asked about this at the show, didn't they? Did they ask you guys or was it just me? Just you, I think. You're the, You're merch, the merch man. man. Yeah, exactly. Well, was it Andy was there in the apron, but we he didn't see him because of the lights. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't see anything on that stage. Yeah, and somebody asked a question about the leggings. Was it, why are you not wearing leggings, toy box, soapbox? That was his exact question. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't suit my figure, I don't believe. Although maybe, maybe. But you've got all sorts of merch there. You've got t-shirts, coasters, lots of stuff emblazoned with the wonderful artwork that Sixo does for the show. Thank you. Get that on a coaster. Get that on a shower curtain if you'd like. About <laughs> you leggings. actually can, that's the thing. Or a special edition Maz pillow. Put it on one of those. <laughs> oh God, Not an actual thing. Not about an the pillow thing. Oh, man. Throwback Thursday. But uh, you can find all of that at rebelbook.com forward slash people forward slash triple takeover forward slash explore. And to the one person who I quoted that to as a reflex when they asked me where to get the merchandise from, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do two explores? Yeah, yeah. To... I read Explore. it. As, it was like my mind just flicked into this moment here, like this mode. Right. So I just, I just read it out as if it was as I was doing the show like that. And then he just looked at me, kind of gone out, and I could have just gone, go and have a look at our Rebel site. I had at least one moment during the weekend where someone said, oh, there's your podcast voice. I was like, <laughs> yes. oh, cool. That be... <laughs> That's a thing now, is it? There we are. No, we are becoming caricatures of ourselves in person yeah. now. That That is 100%. definitely happening. 100%. Yeah. I got asked frequently. Actually, it was, uh, it was Jason Murray's sister, uh, who was lovely, by the way, uh, really, really friendly. But uh, what was it? Uh, her daughter, I think, who had a little bumblebee toy and uh, she was showing it to me and it was, it was. I just said, oh yeah, it look, looks great. And they said, oh, but you've probably got it, don't you? Because you have all of Transformers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a thing then. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I actually don't have this one, um, but I do have it in a different color. But yeah. Speaking of um, interactions with various women at TF Nation, I feel a correction needs to be made here. Ooh. Last time out, Old Sixo here with the gold plastic crumbling memory uh, said that I had an encounter in the lift with the quilters a few years back where they turned to me and said, and we are up for anything. And I do mean anything. And I wasn't the only one at this show who told him, actually, you were wrong. They said it to him. And that was my no memory way. of it. And it was to him that I he don't, got the comment. But I dispute it because it was only you and me in the lift with them. So how can they have remembered it differently? Because actually what happened is I then went and told everyone in earshot what happened, not you. Right. <laughs> so they remember the story. It was you. No, no it, it was, was you. you. No, that's why I didn't remember it. It was you. A correction has you. been made. Everything no, a correction right has not been made. Absolutely not, man. <laughs> I, I believe <laughs> it has. Because in the same episode, did I not tell the story of something similar happening to Sixo? And I think it was actually that moment. Nah, it was mess, honestly. It was mess. I distinctly remember because you were you were slightly uh, taken aback by it at the time, or kind of bewildered by it at the time. Like, did that just happen? It was definitely you, mum. Hundred percent. Afraid not me. And why would it not be? Why would it not be? Look at your handsome face. The topic of this episode is generally the development of late G1 European Transformers. And the reason we want to do this episode is because Andy Cousins, who was head of boys' toys at Hasbro Europe uh, and previously Milton Bradley before the, before the merger, before the purchase, he was supposed to be at TF Nation in 2020, which was cancelled, but he was a guest this year and he did a fantastic panel on his history as 
someone who worked for Hasbro and other toy companies on the development of toys, which would have been like very late 80s, early 90s, stuff that we would know, Turbo Masters, Motivators, these kind of figures. He, he was employed at Hasbro Europe at that time. And he had a table in the dealer room where he had incredible design drawings of all, the, all your favorites, your Skyquakes, your Rotor Storms, Aqua Speeders, stuff like that. We're all in a folder. And he has loads more of these back at his gaff. And he brought some along with some prints. And I think kind of gauge interest. And we were inspired by this stuff. And not everyone will get to see that panel and, and everything he talked about. And while obviously it was, it was a job that he had 40 odd years ago, and he did enjoy the job, but a lot of the very finer details have escaped him as, as time has passed. But we just wanted to sort of bring together what we all heard and what we all saw and sort of talk about this development process of European Transformers in what is sometimes known as the G1.5 era. Yeah, I, I mean, it was such a great panel. I really enjoyed it. And in a funny way, even more enjoyed talking to him at his table afterwards yeah. and kind of, you know, sharing some extra anecdotes and things. And I mean, I think, yes, it's fair to say, as, as, you, as you sort of said, Pastor, that his memory on certain things was, you know, as it, it's 30 years ago, you know, he hasn't exactly got all the details. And so he was sort of guessing on one or two points and he admitted as much quite freely. But he was just really willing to kind of share whatever information he had. He certainly remembered his opinions on certain things, didn't he? Because, well, kicking us right off the bat, one thing I found fascinating was his take on how that whole kind of European era kind of came to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and particularly kind of where, I guess, Hasbro had been in the sort of late 90s. Uh, sorry, late 80s, I should say. And particularly up to like 1990 and with the kind of end of generation one in north america um and then kind of almost being left to it in 1991 onwards 91 to 93 uh in europe i mean he didn't mention action masters but he very much kind of gave an indication of like he mentioned i think transformers that don't transform at one point and sort of said uh you know hasbro were trying to make transformers into something else and trying to sort of get some of the success from gi joe but he really did not seem keen on all Mm. that did he no, he, he was professionally critical of them, yes. I would say. I mean, he said that Hasbro had acquired Milton Bradley because they wanted a board game brand and they wanted their line robotics, which he then was very honestly saying that he felt that Hasbro then ruined robotics and Transformers sort of came along with it. Yeah. And yeah, he, he was, uh, yeah, you mentioned about the colors, right? I mean, he had worked on toys like Rotorstorm and Thunderclash, you know, toys that then you know, they weren't released in the US. And I think knowing that he was saying that they could sort of go back to what they believed these toys should look like. And they had more of a say on colors. And there were sketches that he had made beautiful design sketches of Rotorstorm, five iterations of his canopy, for example. I mean, how awesome was that? I would have bought that print. Oh, it was incredible. And he had like Pantone colors on the side and you've got your neon pinks, you've got your lovely blues and teals and, and all that kind of glorious stuff that we Greens. associate. Yeah, these things that we associate with that era. And I actually thought about getting my Machine Wars toys that I picked up at the show signed. But then hearing how disappointed he was with the color choices for those repaints, how they became almost militaristic in his opinion, I kind of changed my mind and thought... Maybe yeah. next time you come, I'll just bring my box G1 Red Storm and let you sign that one instead. For sure. I think I think it was clear in everything he said that he had a very um, strong sensibility about particular choices about design. And yeah, as I say, he talked a little bit about kind of where Transformers had been going 
and he talked a bit about the fact that, in his opinion, the line in kind of the late 80s, I think he was predominantly referring to 1990, to be fair, but Mm -hmm. he talked a lot about how they dialed back the colours, less paint applications he was talking about and things like that, and kind of less detail, but also that they, in his eyes, stripped back on some of the tooling as well and had kind of simplified tooling, things like this, and that he didn't see the kind of complexity that he personally appreciated in those toys. And I think when he designed stuff like Rotorstorm and Stalker and Skyquake and Thunderclash and all of those legendary toys from that era that have been repainted, some of them multiple, multiple times. I mean, they are bizarrely, although they weren't North American releases, they are absolute staples in my mind of the G1 line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he was clearly proud of the work that he did on them. And I think uh, as you said, I think the fact that he was now sort of, in a funny way, left alone to do pretty much whatever he wanted, you know, as part of, he was very keen to say, wasn't he, as part of a process and as part of a group of people, yep. um, you know, he, he sort of was able to have much more influence on that kind of stuff. And I think it shows in those toys, honestly. Yeah. Do you remember when he talked about the click? Yes. Yeah. Hugely so. Hugely so. We spoke about this before. We've talked about Rotostorm, haven't we? How he feels like a step back, but in a positive way, where he feels like earlier Transformers compared to some of the stuff that came in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sort of felt like a writing of the ship. It's very familiar if you were around with like the Target Masters and stuff like that. He's very in line with like Trigger Happy and that sort of toy, isn't he? Right. Yeah. Yes. It reminds me a lot of Misfire. They've got that same sort of big plasticky feel, clicky joints, mm-hmm. but simple, but not too simple. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting theme that he kept talking about end of toy lines, cutbacks, and, you know, and how mm-hmm. the plastic was getting low, toys were being simplified. But it came up a couple of times, didn't it? But he had a few names for it, and I wish I could remember now. Some like industry terms, which I think he said, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. That's yeah, like interesting. He, he dropped so much knowledge just off mm. the bat. You know, he, he was, um, it was just firing out of him, honestly. It was it was hard to keep up. I think unless you sort of were furiously writing notes of everything he yeah. said, there's no way you could remember it all. No, and I had three separate opportunities to get that information. Once I went to speak to him on the Saturday, then you spoke to him on the Sunday and I was there. And then, of course, there was this panel as well on the Saturday. And it's just about trying to retain as much of that as possible while the alcohol and the lack of sleep is trying to beat it out of your head in the other way. <laughs> I was sat next to you and I could see how much you were enjoying it. I kept looking at you, you had that grin on your face and you had your hand up at one point for a question, didn't you? But I asked you what it was, but I can't remember what you said. Well, the thing is, um, what became really clear was that if you had a really niche specific question about a particular toy, chances were that he wasn't going to remember the the specific details. And I realized as he was answering other people's questions about non-combining combiner figures that were repainted for that line, uh, that it wasn't, there wasn't really going to be any point in me asking him specifics about colors of toys and how he felt about the choices he made and and stuff like that. I just kind of took it along with the general vibe of what he was saying. So I was happy to believe that the amazing colors on Rotorstorm were via input from him and his very large team of people that were involved. And I think um, one of the confusions I had, and I think now is a bit cleared up, is that that Andy Cousins didn't actually, like him and his team, didn't sit down and design a toy like Rotorstorm. Like the designs were still Takara productions. You know, they were still Takara designs that came through to him. And then, I mean, he wasn't even really at the stage of being a drawer at that point, but he, he loves drawing so much and is an artist in that way that he would do drawings and he would sort of give indications on what they might consider changing, like making the canopy on Rotorstorm a bit more complex a bit more interesting and uh, then that would be like a back and forth between him and Takara. I found that whole thing really insightful you know how he kept saying he kept doing it and making little changes Mm. till right till the end and then they said 
that it would have to what was it has a ship date or something doesn't it yeah exactly yeah these schedules these time timelines that they had where if the change was too large and it didn't meet budget and it wouldn't meet the timeline it just wouldn't happen yeah i didn't realize that back then i don't know if it's the same now i assume it is but that they're given a ship date and that target date and then that's when they start pitching the toys and deciding what to make yeah it's not here's a toy we'll fit it in Mm -hmm. we'll probably put it there it's the other way around isn't it it's this is your date make something and price point yeah and the price point yeah exactly it's it's like all the details are decided beforehand aren't they it's like even before the toy and again i don't know if this is the same today it may well be but it's like even before the toy is designed they know how much it's going to retail at and when it's going to be released Mm -hmm. and then it's like up to people behind the scenes to fill in all the blanks um i guess it's kind of like in a funny way it's almost like how marvel make films now isn't it as opposed to like when films were made just because someone wanted, like, loved that story and they wanted to release it. Whereas now it's like, we're going to re- release a film on this date at this time and whatever yeah. else. And then they kind of fill it all in afterwards. But uh, it's just quite funny to hear. Um, but yeah, he, he was. it was clear as well, I think, that he was someone that just loves toys and loves great yeah. design mm-hmm. and, and had a real passion for making these things as good as he and the team possibly could he had an enormous respect for takara as well yeah hugely so but he mentioned several times that you know he was often the one that was pushing things to the brink of the deadline and that you know asking for more changes or whatever or requesting things or suggesting things that someone else would say yeah but andy if we do that we're going to go over you know we're going to go over budget or we're going to go over deadline or it's just you know it can't happen but it's remarkable to see someone with that level of passion. And I think it shows in the final product. And that just knowledge, the passion and the knowledge combined together. Because I found, I don't know which of you, for you guys, but as the panel got about halfway through, I started to be much less interested in knowing about Transformers and stuff like that. It was more, I was so interested in the process of the things he was talking about, just little bits. And I was like, I would love to have heard more of that, just go more detail. There was every now and again, I was like, oh, that's really interesting when he dropped some sort of little hint to something or yeah. little, little information about it. Like, like you're saying there about working with Takara and stuff, and you'd say, oh, you know, we'd be on the phone at hours and stuff like that, talking about yeah. this and this and this. It'd be like, there's just this little bit more of a process. I would like, I'm less interested in these questions about the motivators and stuff like that as I am now, because he doesn't know it. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah. And he set the tone right at the start when one of the first pictures he put up was the big track. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. And then yeah. when it flicked to the actual pitch of the big track, you heard the cheer go, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. There were so many people must have just recognized what it was at the same time. It's like, wow. I was like, I would have loved to have heard about stuff like that. I thought it was just a fantastic panel all around. But, His yeah. portfolio of stuff and some of the, the, yeah. the drawings and sketches and designs that he shared was just incredible. Micro machines, man. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say. Micro machines bases. Some of the, yeah. the unused never produced micro machines bases yeah. that he he drew there was the one was it like a big boat or something wasn't it or like a submarine yeah yeah, yeah. that's right um i just remember I, I kind of vaguely remember it and it obviously folded out into like a big city uh it just looked absolutely immense honestly it was so funny how he didn't know some of these toys had ever been produced yeah. until maybe a couple of months ago and then he's been going on ebay and buying toys yeah. that he owns and he had a a G1 stalker on his table that I think he bought from Toy Fu. He did. Because he'd seen it and I thought, well, I'd love to have these things now. Mm. And then at the end of the show, um, I was bringing a Thunderclash back. I'd had this Thunderclash for three years and I was giving it back to the Space Bridge because I just hadn't had a chance to bring it to Iceland and pandemic and all the rest of it. I never got a chance to give it back to Paul. And uh, Paul just gave it to him at the end of the show. 
So Andy Cousins really? has gone back with the Thunderclash that's been living with me for three years. Uh, really? So now he's got a Thunderclash and he's got a Stalker at least, plus the other things he's bought at home. Man, that's incredible. I'm so happy about that because I, I, I've enjoyed the, the journey of that Thunderclash from when we met you on Friday, on the mm. Thursday even, wasn't it? And you're like, I've got this Thunderclash with me. And then when you t- took it over to Paul, and that, just knowing that that's where it ultimately ended up, that it, we were all part of this story. Uh, yeah, hang on a minute. How did I go? How did I go the whole weekend not knowing that you were carrying around a G1 Thunderclash? Yeah, I had, it, I had it with me the whole time. I was meant to give in it back house. to Paul ages ago. Really? Yeah, it was just at my home in London, actually. So, oh. And it was here, in, in my house? It was in your yes, house, it yeah. Was. yeah. I, I saw it, you showed it me. No, it's in Andy Cousins' house. You didn't show it to me. I'm pretty sure you've got one, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I do, man, I do. Damn but... sight nicer than the one yeah, I was carrying around. Transformers, too. doesn't he? So, yeah. Yeah, too, like, well, well, corroborated by you and me, because we've been there. Yeah, you've oh, been there now. We didn't even talk about that, but yeah, we'll come back to the castle. Yeah. But, uh... I've, been, I've been checking the shelves for broken bits of plastic ever since oh. you left. <laughs> I hide my tracks well. Well, the actual G1 tracks. <laughs> it was the Micromaster stuff, that concept stuff. Like seeing that, it reminded me of the Space Bridge panel, that yeah. the Rad panel the other year. Seeing that stuff was real wow moments. And it was a bit like, you know, that scene in Batman when the Joker's talking. Is talking to Gotham on the news and the mayor comes in and he pushes it out of shot. It was that as soon as someone started asking about Transformers, I wanted to just go like, side to go back to Micro Machines. Like, let's go back to those unused designs. This is incredible. And the mad thing was, at the point when he was designing Micro Machines, he was no longer working for Hasbro. He had no. gone freelance. So they'd yeah. employed him for like a day to kick out as many wacky designs as he could, like 20 in a day. He just belt them out for however long they'd employed him. Yeah. And then he didn't know which ones got produced. I think that is so mad. Just that, wicked, it, isn't it? Just that, mm. that he didn't know. and Because he, he also didn't know that some of his Transformers stuff had been repainted and things yeah. like that. And, Machine uh, Wars, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in universe. Yeah, yeah in, in some of the universe stuff. But I thought that was really interesting as well, because when we were chatting to him, and we got quite into it with him, didn't we? And uh, we got chatting to him about things like, uh, I remember saying to him, uh, you know, have you heard of GPS? Have you heard of gold plastic syndrome? <laughs> um, that was so ironic, honestly. Well, that was it. I mean, there's the bloody subject that I can't get away from. So I thought I may as well introduce it to someone else. Do you know what I mean? But I just thought it was so interesting because he talked a lot about plastic quality and and production and he was clearly super 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 knowledgeable about and we'll talk about that as well but all facets of the production process so i just thought as we were chatting i was like does he know about this does he know that that era is also synonymous with this um very infamous thing you know this sort of affliction uh of plastic and he wasn't no he didn't know about it did he i think he said oh, I've heard something about that or someone's mentioned it vaguely, but I don't know what it is. And so I just explained it and just said, you know, that actually, because we were looking at some of the Skyquake designs in his portfolio. And I just said, yeah, this toy has GPS and Thunderclash has GPS. And I explained what it was. And he posited a couple of theories, didn't he, about the the plastic mix. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think at one point he... Well, he said if it has swirls, it's because they've taken the excess plastic and yes. put it back into the mold, and they're not allowed to do that. So that swirling plastic is that's where it's come from. Yeah, that was he, one of the things he said. That was one of the indications, wasn't it? So, um, so yeah, but he he seemed a bit kind of huh about it, and he yeah. basically said there's no reasonable explanation for it that he can think of. You know, I the, think the he insulted been... him a little bit. He looked a bit affronted at the fact that you were suggesting that he was to blame for all the crumbling thunderclashes. Oh, give off! <laughs> I, I legit <laughs> thought this story was going to go that six zero mansplained GPS to Andy Cousins. Yeah. Absolutely not. He lent me as well. I couldn't believe it. It was like a it was like a Wolf and Liam situation. Honestly. <laughs> 
TFN have asked me not to go back. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> You've had to give up your academy membership, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. No, none of this happened. He did not look offended in the no. least. He was smiling all the way through. Top teaser he was. He was. I think he was quite interested, actually, yes. in the GPS thing, because he was really... Um, he kind of got going on the theories, didn't he, as to why it would be. But he, he seemed to indicate that there was nothing at the time that mm. would have, you know, that they would have known about that would have um, indicated, I mean, quite clearly, that they right. would have known that it would have been a problem. He did say that um, when I suggested it might have been a metal flake, he said that could also have been one of the reasons for it, the inclusion of like the sparkly metal flake in, in the plastic. Mm. And considering that that does also happen to older blue Takara plastic, I mean, Maybe that's something to do with it. Maybe. Interestingly, on his design sketches, one thing that's just come to mind is they were all on A4 paper. And do you remember yes. he said that that was because they had to fax them across? Yes. So they had to be on A4. Yeah. So many little just random things, isn't there, about like you really kind of got a picture of what it was like working there at the time. Drawing with marker pens. He was really into that, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. The same, uh, magic marker, he said, wasn't it? Yeah, at the magic beginning, marker. That's what he was using. He did, he did. I mean, his drawings, he, he just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's... The, the sketches and things that he'd done, the the ones of Stalker and Rotorstorm for me yep. were just perfect. I really wish, actually, that I'd bought one of his prints. prints I, I, as yeah. we were talking, I looked at I looked at them and I was like, oh, man, that'd be really nice to have, particularly as like those toys are such favourites of mine. I wish he'd done some of his advertising stuff because when they flashed up, the images he'd done of those, they looked mm. really good. They were just really vivid and interesting. Yeah, mm. super good. Well, he mentioned, didn't he, he said that one of his advantages in the role that he had was that he could draw and that not yeah. everybody that does that kind of role can draw. And Absolutely that right. he, he was so humble about it, though, because he said that he wasn't bragging about it. He wasn't boastful about it. He was just really like, actually, it's a big advantage for me because I can articulate my ideas through drawings. He said, so it's kind of harder for people that can't do that because they have to really kind of explain things a lot more or whatever. So... Um, I think it was really nicely explained. Just going back to the the click that he was talking about and how he was, I can't remember exactly whether he was one of those who instigated that change, whether he had given that feedback, but he was really happy that when it got to toys like Thunderclash and Stalker, that those chunky pieces of plastic that ratcheted that way and really gave you the feel that you were holding something weighty yeah, uh, were a key ingredient of these toys that he wanted to see back in the line. And of course, he did make reference to some more modern figures not having that quality. I can't, I just can't remember whether it was just something that Takara automatically went back to during this period when like Hasbro weren't picking up those particular toys in the US and in the markets uh, in North America. He seemed to suggest it was him, didn't he? Because he said he they talked about it and he said right. eventually after some explanation, they, they understood, didn't he? It was, mm-hmm. That's where the click came from because that's how they then knew what he meant, what what him and his team meant. Right. Again, I don't think he did it in a braggy way, but he did seem to indicate that at least he he was involved with that. Because he was very keen to say that a lot of it was a team thing and all of this. But yeah, he did seem to indicate that that was partly his influence because he was very passionate about that as well. But when you think about it, though, actually, a lot of the, I say a lot, some of the toys from that era, of course, are Takara imports as well. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that toys like overlord have that click as well yeah they do um that very satisfying kind of precision click i think for the benefit of people listening that weren't at the panel just to kind of explain what he meant by that i mean it's obvious if you've held one of those toys i think but it's that it's that just very precision satisfying 
uh, click together of two pieces, isn't it? And he, he, yeah. as you said, he talked about the weight of the toys and the quality of the plastic. And again, the precision of the tooling such that two pieces, when they connect together, it's satisfying in a child's hands. Uh, yeah, that and tactile he, feel was, was a big part of what he said the toy should in, evoke it, in yeah, somebody. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's so true. And to be honest, it's something that I have kind of noted in some modern transformers you know that they don't always have that you know i, I think i talked a bit in when i reviewed stuff like um war for cybertron the the battle charges you know that they have that really kind of squishy feel to them almost and that i do find that they kind of lack that satisfying click sometimes so it was super interesting to hear about because i've always felt that those turbo masters and those other toys are just so satisfying mm. i was gonna say that was exactly what popped into my mind was the turbo masters you know the way the legs fold over and then they click in, don't they? It's a very noticeable feeling when you're yep. moving those toys. Yeah, 100%. 100%. The Transformers will return after these messages. Right, well, it's that time for the bit of the pod where we're going to go through our sponsor segment. That is, of course, tfsource.com for your Transformers and third-party needs. And my word, they've got some good stuff going on in the pre-orders section right now, don't they, lads? Uh, and a few nice things in stock as well. No-brainers this time for me, though. Yeah. Two absolute no-brainers in there. Two? Wow, you're breaking your own rules, man. Normally you stop us at one. Yeah. What did I say in the mini Black Skids. And there it is. Yeah. Masterpiece MP353 plus B. Dire Burnout. So Black Skids, Black Diaclone Skids, who has also appeared in Transformers a couple of times now as a Botcon toy and then in Legacy as well. We have a Masterpiece coming. And uh, it's a she. It has the toy head. It's the City Turbo Mold. And I only bought Masterpiece Skids off you, because I wanted the turbo mold. <laughs> it was on your they've gone, <laughs> Yeah, it was like a mint. It was mint. And it's coming in black with the Motocompo scooter, all the weapons that have been included so far, and a hollow of Kali. I mean, perfection. Absolute perfection. The toy is gorgeous. I cannot wait for this to be released. Yeah. They're not messing around, are they? They're not messing around with this mold. Just pumping them out. Absolutely gorgeous. Those orange stripes on the side of the yeah. car, man. Absolutely love it. Yeah, spectacular. And that is a must-have for me. And the other one is the uh, the new Waruda Diaclone that's been advertised. This insane, demonic, satanic beast of a thing that's... Cheeky. I think it's called Waruda... Yeah, it's nothing cheeky about this one. It's called the Waruda Legion Vajra. And it's just epic. It can turn into this 70-centimeter-long worm winged evil satan beast and i think one of the modes is actually called <laughs> satan's slay that's one of the official mode names wow it's wild man and it's in dark cathode colors as well and the price is fantastic for what it is i can't wait yeah i would agree with that actually i thought it was going to be more but the the horns on that thing man just looks exceptional it's yeah. like yeah satan beast was right yeah. are you sure it's satan's slay and not santa's slay it turns into different toy yeah <laughs> I totally want different that thing, toy. man. Yeah, I bet you do. If all yeah. Warudas look like yeah. Santa, you'd be That's in the Home Alone section on right. the, on the <laughs> exactly. website. It's, it's not here. Okay, cool. Well, those are two solid choices, I have to tell you. Uh, what is going on with the, the numbering now? I know we talked about that in the car before. <laughs> MP figure this one out, guys. 53 plus B. Honestly. It's an equation. Yeah. I know I said this in the old Masterpiece episode. I think it was in that episode. I've said it at some point, whenever it was. But... Honestly, I just love that there are going to still be people going, no, no, it all makes sense. This is Takara's <laughs> logic. 
Like, no, there's no logic here. They're just making it up as yeah. they go on. Honestly. I like that it sounds like it's two toys. It's MP53 yeah. plus B. Plus like, who's, B? Who's B? Are we getting a B? It's not think... Carly, it's Barley. Yeah. <laughs> it's ba- it's, it's ba- Barry Whitwicky. <laughs> I already saw someone describe it as piss Carly, and I was like, (laughs) someone online, not me. me." (laughs) The the trend of yellowing plastic these days, it might well be piss Carly by the time you've got it in hand. Indeed. Liam, what about you, man? What's caught your eye? I've also got two choices, and my first one is, it's this Canon Optimus Prime. Oh, well, you took mine. You guys are taking all of mine. I was gonna. If you were gonna start going, I was gonna interrupt you so I could get in first because I knew yeah, you were right. gonna say the same thing. <laughs> get in there first. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Well, Sixer can have the reflector version. That looks gorgeous as well. But it's so weird. I'm glad they've gone back to this weirdness of you know random toys as transformers, just random devices again. Yeah, like, great. Have video games, consoles, shoes, and all that sort of crazy stuff. It's just limbs coming out of something you owned in the late '90s and early 2000s, isn't it? And a head right. on top. Well, no, this is something, limbs coming out of something I use all the bloody time at the minute. Yeah, exactly. It's something I own now. Well, unlike yeah. a games console, Liam. Well, yeah, well, that as well. Or a shoe, a trainer. <laughs> something I wear Or a baseball time. cap. This line was designed for you. You make me sound like Poochie from The Simpsons. <laughs> just don't die on the way back to your home planet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'll try. But I just love all of it. It's got the fact it's got a little lens that comes off. Yeah. The lens is the killer, man. The lens. I have heard that it's supposedly not full size, the camera. Right. But it's only oh, going to be what? like, yeah, I don't know if that's true. So, you know, don't take it as um, 100%. But I have heard that it's only like maybe 80 to 90%. Someone was suggesting that. But I don't know. That's fine. 80 yeah. to 90%. Just like a smaller camera. It would make sense if it was slightly undersized, I, I guess. But it does look fantastic. I just loved all the discourse on that because honestly, the Optimus Prime was revealed and for like 24 hours until the reflector images landed every bugger on the internet was going should have been reflector, should have been reflector and it was like constant and then they unveiled reflector and people were going oh I really wish it had been Soundwave yeah. and it's Omega like Tron. just <laughs> yeah. bloody just take it just, yeah. what I mean? just whatever <laughs> doesn't matter you think some doesn't people matter. buy three of them oh god <laughs> yeah that's, that's the thing my second choice oh it's even better it is Raph the Space Cadet Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates have you ever seen these what no what is it oh my god so Super 7 do these this Ultimates toy line yeah yeah and you know like we have classics and masterpieces blah 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 but here, they take the vintage Turtles toys and give them all articulations like this. But they, they've, this... Made, they've made Transformers, Liam. We know, yes, <laughs> we know about yes. it, yeah. Well, well, I'm trying to get you up to speed on other toy lines. So what they did with the Turtles is, as their popularity was waning, they just started chucking the Turtles into everything, you know, in the vintage toy line by Playmates. So come the 90s, they were Universal Monsters Ninja Turtles, Sports Ninja Turtles, Transformer Ninja Turtles, every conceivable costume. One series was based on the Apollo missions. So all the turtles have got astronaut suits and they've made ultimate versions of those. Oh man, I've just seen it. It's awesome. It is amazing. I've just seen it. Little Raphael in a spacesuit. Look at the helmet though. Look at the space helmet. It's got it's got a grin. Like the oh, normal turtle head looks man. angry, but the helmet's got like a cheesy grin. It's <laughs> like a brilliant. really happy stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a big R on his crutch. It but does, look it? at it, man. That's absolutely brilliant. They got sort of an alien and the size of some sort of space pizza. It's, a, it's just cool, man. But this at the time was the era of turtles, you know, where it's like fading back in the 90s. So they were just chucking everything into it just to get the turtles recycled every wave in some new way. Oh, my God. 
look at his reference as well, like super nineties knife thing and laser gun and it's it's, it's so- really kind of captured the spirit of it, hasn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, it was insane. Like they had Universal Monsters, Dracula, Donatello, all that. So, so what are you interested in, Sixo? Uh, well, you've taken all of mine. So, Raphael, to... you were into that too. <laughs> that wasn't on my list, but it does look fantastic. Uh, I will say that I think it's dead exciting that uh, did I mention this last time or previous time that the old uh, winged beast metal dragon. Uh, no, I've got that wrong. Metal Beast Wing Dragon, that's the one. That That's uh, come back up for pre-order. Because uh, you buggers saw that in my house, didn't they? That's the third-party Transmetal 2 Megatron. Kept almost knocking it off. Uh, yes, you did. Nothing, nothing on the internet has prepared me for how incredible that figure was in person. And the Cryotech as well. The wingspan was, it stretched across the entire 6.0 collection. It was just yeah. fabulous. The collar. The collar. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Just the talents. Incredible, honestly. You could really injure yourself on them. They're quite sharp. But I I feel a bit vindicated by that because, honestly, I've said to so many people, no, man, you've got to see this thing in hand. It's like proper legit, you know, like top Mm. tier echelon, you know, beyond what third party normally make. And uh, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really is, though, right? It's a real wild moment of a toy, isn't it, when when you see it? It's massive. Just incredible. Like, if you're you're a Beast Wars fan. The shade of red they use. Yeah. Whatever kind of paint they're using is just gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, if you're a Beast Wars fan, for me, it's a sincere must-have, honestly. So that is definitely one that caught my eye. Otherwise, what else is going on? Well, there's there's the Legacy Transmetal 2 Megatron as well, which also looks pretty hot, I think, may I say. Um, I think that's... Uh, I was admiring that on the stream that they did yesterday, on the old fan stream. I thought that looked fantastic. And uh, the other one is the Masterpiece... Revenge of the Fallen Starscream with the kind of tattoo design oh, yeah. on it. I think that looks pretty hot. Yes, it did actually so, look quite nice. Well into that. I really love that design anyway. So kind of up for giving it another go. Not the most extensive repaint. But yeah, I just thought the tattoo design is super cool. So pleased to see them do that. And definitely up for giving it another go. So I think that's going to do it for our little round of sponsor segments. That is tfsource.com. Do check them out for all your Transformers and third-party needs. And thanks to them as ever, for sponsoring the pod. We now return to the Transformers. So going back to the development of late Euro G1, there were a number of questions at the panel, obviously, that Andy Cousins wasn't able to answer precisely, but there were some elements of toys that he did remember and things that he spoke about fondly. For example, light piping. Yeah. Do you remember when he actually brought up the subject of light piping? Yeah, he was very passionate about it. I don't, um, I don't remember like specifics of exactly what he said or anything, but I recall him being very kind of enthusiastic about it. And we did talk about the fact that, you know, it was obviously a new thing for that era. Um, and I think uh, it obviously been sort of overseen on his watch, hadn't it? Yeah, and he mentioned that hot pink was the color they used for it because it was actually the one that uh, transmitted the light best. Yes. It was one of the colors that did the most once the, the light green. was coming in. Yes, right. For so Stalker. It was, so it wasn't just about the aesthetic. It just was a lovely coincidence that it worked so well in that color. And, and obviously, Rotostorm's light piping is utterly legendary. And it's funny to think of the first time it was done was on those toys, and maybe never better since. I've said this before, honestly, that it does feel like I, I love light piping when it's done well, but all too often it kind of feels like we're just chasing that high that we got on the initial, you know, when it was the first used on the Turbo Masters and Predators mm-hmm. and all those guys, because it's honestly just never been bettered. You know, I mean, there are fantastic examples from over the years, but 
just done so well. And I just think, again, it's another feather in Andy Cousins' cap. You know, not just him, but the team. That um, Just for how well it was done right out the gate. I don't remember any of this bit at all. <laughs> well, I legit don't remember any of this at all. Well, I think this was in um, conversation with him afterwards, wasn't it, Maz? Oh, right. There we go. So I wasn't there. It was both, actually. He did mention it in the panel as well. And I, and I do remember talking to him about it in person. Don't remember the panel at all. Well, the thing was, it would come in snippets because his slides weren't exactly in Transformers order, you know. And it was when people got to the individual questions that these sort of things started coming up. And obviously, he would would get little snippets, uh, little nuggets of of memory back, you know. He was regularly referred to the toy as Rota and referred to the other one as Clash, you know. So obviously, even the, the specific names weren't etched in his memory yeah he did call it clash didn't he a few times yeah 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 i think it's fair to say that because he's not up on the fandom so much and he hasn't sort of kept in tune with everything that's going on and kind of how these toys are perceived it's fair to say he didn't explain it and this is not a criticism but it, it was coming to it was coming out in the way that made sense to him but there was probably a more logical order that would have made sense to mm-hmm. us if that makes sense so it was sort of as you said it was just kind of, kind of random snippets here and there wasn't it you were trying to sort of piece it together a little bit if anything mm-hmm. um but i thought um it was interesting some of the questions though as much as he didn't recall some of the information I was still pleased that people asked. I think I raised my hand to to ask about non-combining combiners at one point, and someone, uh, as I put my hand up, someone asked that question, and I thought it was a good one. And he very much implied, didn't he, or, or stated that? Well, firstly, he didn't remember that mm-hmm. they had non-combining combiners. He didn't recall that being a thing, but he said very simply, it would have been cost-saving. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, just to remove the extra parts required for, um, you know, like on the motivators, for example, uh, from Road Caesar, just getting rid of the extra bits, purely and simply, um, or on uh, Rescue, Rescue Force. Force. Yeah. Yeah. Although, do you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense on Rescue Force because then they actually molded new weapons for them. Right. I thought that's what the question was in the panel. I thought it was talking about the Rescue Force at first. And then I thought he misheard and started talking about the Constructicons. It was like this funny overlap. There wasn't, yeah, it got a bit confused. He was talking about the 90s, and then he suddenly started talking about the construction vehicles, didn't he? And went into the, it was like, it's that 84, 85. It got a bit confused as to, uh, yeah, 100%. There, there was uh, some good nuggets in that bit, though, because he did oh, yeah. say that he didn't think construction vehicles would have made particularly successful toys, but because he was obviously really into like race cars and trucks and stuff like that. But then he said, well, obviously they did well. And David, who was interviewing him on stage, asked him, was it by... did a great job. Yeah. And uh, he asked him something I would never have thought of, which was the colors that were picked for the Rescue Force items. Were they influenced by Thunderbirds, which was making a little bit of a comeback at the time? And again, he said, well, maybe subliminally, but he doesn't remember it as a specific design choice. Yeah. It was was fascinating. We caught him later, didn't we, Maz? And I sort of asked, I, I prefaced it and said, look, I'm sure you're not going to remember this because, you know, you obviously haven't remembered about Rescue Force and whatever else. But I did say the sort of dichotomy for me is that we've established or we think that the non-combining combiners thing happened to save money. But then I said, so why was it that the Constructicons not only had those pieces removed, but that then they were actually slightly retooled to be able to not physically combine at all. So even if you had the pieces, you wouldn't be able to combine them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he did seem a bit perplexed by that, didn't he? He was like, oh, that is strange. But he did also make a comment at the panel, 
which stuck with me, which was that he wasn't keen on the whole idea of combining robots anyway. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? That's the thing, yeah. I mean, there were so many Japanese robots that didn't get brought over. And a combination of what he said on stage and in person to me was that there were some decisions being made on a cultural level as well, like aesthetic choices that they thought, yes, they were quite popular in Japan, but there were certain elements about those toys aesthetically that they didn't feel fit the market that they were directing toys at. So maybe that's kind of the reason why you didn't yeah. get your Star Sabers and 100%. other victory style Transformers. The stuff that was heading towards Brave in Japan yeah. didn't really make it over to, to this side of the pond. Yeah, I 100% took that as uh, an indication that he was talking about Star Saber there, 100%. I don't think he was consciously talking about Star Saber, as in I think if you said, was that Star Saber, I think he'd tell you he remembered that, what that toy was. But we know, don't we, that he was sent various uh, Japanese toys yeah, by yeah. Takara. Because he, he sold was, them since, yeah. Right, exactly. So we know he said that it in he, the panel, didn't he, as well? He mentioned getting toys and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it stands to reason. We Obviously, Overlord made it over. Obviously, Road Caesar made it over in the form of the Motivators. Obviously, Lyokaiser, in the format of Rescue Force, made it over, four of them, the team anyway. So it stands to reason that they would have sent him stuff like Star Saber and presumably mm-hmm. Victory Leo as well. Um, but yeah, he did talk very clearly about the style of some of those toys. I think he even said they just didn't seem like Transformers, mm-hmm. as in they didn't look like Transformers. Uh, and that there is always this sort of um thing about star saber looking a bit more like a gundam isn't there hmm. um and I, and I do think he was clearly talking about star saber without knowing it if that makes sense at that point that was certainly my take his point on the combiners was that they didn't look stable wasn't it yeah like if you look at superior and stuff like they're very thin and fragile aren't they and so i the thing i took from that was the toys he specifically seemed to bring over were the stronger thicker plastic ones because it was stuff like the multi-force you know like Landcross and stuff like that they yeah. didn't come did they under his mm. era and it's it's when you look at those they're smaller fiddlier much more very early transformer style aren't they compared to yeah when you look at like the turbo masters overlord and the, the motivators for example they're all big thick plastic toys mm-hmm. like say the click and there's a lot of weight and stuff whereas these feel more like fr- fragile stuff and it was the way he was talking about the constructor cons at the time popped uh multi-force or line cross or whatever into my head it was that sort of it was like oh suddenly those sort of toys didn't come back over did they the later ones yeah those that were just left it- off it actually, I've been thinking about it more in the kind of last couple of days and thinking about what toys didn't mm-hmm. come over then and, and trying to sort of think through the logic of some of the, what he said, because again, it's in snippets. So it's kind of like trying to take little bits that he kind of offered and then sort of apply it and think, ah, and I had considered Land Cross as a possibility because why would you not bring that over in theory? Because it's just an amazing toy. It's lots of fun, but actually to be fair, owning one, it's not the most stable combined mode. You know, it is, um, it does like the chest plate can fall off quite easily. You know, the legs are maybe not so solid. And I can sort of see that actually that might be one that fell by the wayside purely because, Hmm. you know, he or someone on the team looked at it and went, it doesn't fit what we're trying to do here. There's a definite Hmm. feel to once you realize what toys he was not responsible for, but you know, under his watch, that era of toys. The way those toys feel and the way he was talking about the click and the weight and stuff, yeah. that carries across through the Turbo Masters motivators, all of those toys and those toys he bought over. Like you say there, you can piece it together yourself. Exactly. It might not be true, but it you can create a narrative, can't you? You can sort of see you, a logic forming as to why those toys, that mystery of years, why didn't they bring that? 100%. You can sort of see a logic to it from the toys that there. Yeah, 100%. You can see that stuff like Death Saurus and Star Saber and Victory Leo 
wouldn't have made it because of the style of them, just not really feeling yeah. Can like you imagine Deathsaurus standing alongside Boss and Thunderclash? No. And, but the stuff that he was, the stalker, is like not quite the same. No, not at all. And I think it's really kind of cemented it in my mind. And as you said, Liam, maybe it is just me creating a narrative, but to me it makes total sense in the context of what he was saying and the decisions that yeah, he sort of confirmed were made at the time. Because uh, I have for years thought, why did they not bring over more? You know, why did they stop at the Japanese toys that they did? Why Overlord and why not some of these others? But it, it does make perfect sense. Well, were any of the toys he oversaw Beast Formers? No, don't think so. So if you think about it, like, Leo Kaiser has very obvious beast elements to it. Victory mm. Leo, Which Deathsaurus. Went? Yeah, all of these, cut. All the Breastmasters, cut. Everything that seemed to have, like, an animal element to it didn't make it over. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. But no, it felt, didn't it, like uh, that Euro, those three years, starting with the Turbo Masters and those guys, it really felt like they were trying to get almost back to basics. Right. G1, you know, cars yeah. and trucks. And that, as you said. Planes. Planes. And that was, it really felt like but, we're, but in a more we're going back to the start of it. Solid toy, you know, not like the 84, not like the Diaclone cars. No. Mm. More like the 87, sort of that solidity, you know, like we always say about the Target Masters. 100%. They're more like yep. kids' toys, aren't they? Then they're not as fragile. And it felt like that's what you were trying to merge. Well, that's what that G1.5, that was, felt like that to me. Real vehicles, yeah. all robots. Yeah, it's like a natural progression from your double dealers mm. and, your, and your dread wings and that kind of thing. But like a lot of like earthen modes as well, like they might be futuristic in yeah. some way or unusual in some way. But it's real vehicles with r- real vehicles, yeah, elements, not not Cybertronian modes like uh, like some of the the headmasters and stuff. Um, you know, it really felt like they were going for something that could exist on Earth in the future. And I think it's always been funny to me because it always felt like that Euro era had a very specific sensibility to it and. I'm just overjoyed really now because now I feel like I know why um, and know some of the logic behind it. That's it. Because even though he didn't have the answers, you can feel there's a logic. You got the sense of, you could just, from what you know yourself, you can sort of form your own conclusion that's not too far off. Yeah. I think it was just fascinating to hear those little snippets and to kind of try and piece it together a little bit. That was all. And uh, it does make a lot of sense now. So and sort of ties it together. Um, We also heard, didn't we, actually, just talking to him and and just going back to his um, design drawings and things, he talked briefly, didn't he, about like the color-changing gimmicks and things like that. Do you remember this, Matt? I remember you mentioning that it was, from a collector's point of view, it's quite weird now because you had stickers on a color-changing toy, so it's very hard to get them in, in good condition. But I don't remember the exact discussion, actually. Yeah, it was only brief, but he he was just talking about the fact that they'd obviously had to work quite hard to get those toys right, uh, and that actually getting the colours for them uh, right was difficult and things like that. So there was just some sort of insight there. Um, it was only a brief kind of discussion, but it was just funny. But it was just it was more his design drawings as well, just seeing little snippets that are very recognisable, certain certain elements, if you like, or cues on certain toys that are very recognisable. Actually, the one that really struck me was Skyquake. I remember folding the page mm-hmm. and seeing the design drawings for the hands on Skyquake. Yeah. And instantly, because I know that toy well, there was no actual picture of Skyquake to go with them. Instantly, I just said, oh, there's a Skyquake's hands. And is it was that the, one, the way I'd drawn them. Is that the one that had a panel on it, which was jutting out, and he'd labelled yes. it as weak? 
Yes, he did, yeah. didn't he? So yeah, he thought was, that was... wouldn't survive and that should be like paired back. Yeah, it, it, on the sort of uh, knuckle, if you like, of the hand, it almost had mm. like a protruding spike, didn't it? Yes. And he'd circled it and, and indicated that they should take it off because yep. uh, it would break, uh, especially as it ended up being in gold plastic. Wow, interesting. And the thing is, um, he did say that it wasn't like typically his job to do design drawings at that stage, but he just couldn't resist. He wanted to mm. get his drawing pad out and start sketching things. And of course, when he was talking about his team, we're not talking about a team of four or five people. He was indicating that the team responsible would have filled that panel room entirely. It was like creative services, it was marketing, it was engineering, it was design, it was management and all that kind of stuff that, you know, there was quite a significant number of people working on it even at that time. It was really different to how we often hear these things talked about now because, you know, we've talked, we've done a whole episode on the Hosui years and talked about, you know, Shogo Hosui, famed Takara Tomi designer. And, you know, often now people talk about, you know, the designers at Hasbro and uh, so-and-so worked on this toy or so-and-so worked on that toy. And that's all legit and that's all totally uh, fair game. But this was really different because he actually made quite an effort to pick up, as you said, the, the potentially like however many hundreds, maybe a thousand other people that were involved with the process. And that actually he very much painted himself, didn't he, as just one part of a huge overriding you know, mm-hmm. machine, if you like, that brings these things to life. And it's just not how I've heard it sort of talked about in, in elsewhere, if you like. There's a fascinating contrast to now, like when you say like Hasui and people like that, because when you read about them, it's always from the perspective of them being Transformers fans trying to recapture something. Whereas from his perspective, it was almost all business, wasn't it? It was a job. But he's very specific in talking about his team rather than his influences of the cartoon and wanting to do this or this. It was all, well, it's part of a team, it's part of a job. And then it would go on to here and all this sort of stuff. He doesn't know anything more about it. I just think it's so different from the focus now, isn't it? For him, it was just make making a great toy. That's what the core of it was. Yes, and it's right. So far removed from now, where it, you listen to Abe's design team talking like this character is based on this fiction, or I really want to include this, this, and that, and that's completely different. I thought actually there was like almost like a slight element of tragedy to it because there's a sudden realization that so much of this info that we don't know is lost. It's completely lost. Yeah. You know, about all these decisions that, that he doesn't know about and stuff like that that we know a lot about earlier eras because it's more documented and. You know, people have had more interest in it in the past. But this one era, because it's such a weird space almost, you know, with it being over here in Europe and stuff like that, it's just, that documentation doesn't exist. And the thing is, his memory of these things is yeah. fading. I spoke to him in 2011, that's 11 years ago, about Gold Box Classics. And he had said to me that the reason that particular toys were cho- chosen for those reissues was based on previous sales. But I brought it up with him again on the weekend at TF Nation, and he had no recollection of the Gold Box Classics at all. And I'd actually bought my production sample Gold Box Prime from him. Wow. And uh, he has no recollection of those particular toys any longer. That happened in the panel, didn't it? Someone mentioned the Gold Box Classics and he didn't seem to know what it was. It, hmm. it, I think he said something like, if you say so, or something like that. When yeah, he happened. did. He did. Very, oh, I didn't know what it was. Well, I guess it's going to happen, isn't it? I mean, mm. you know, ultimately, how many of us can remember the the specifics of a job that we did 20 years ago or something do you know what right. i mean it, it, who, you i know, can't remember the, the toilet on saturday night so you know <laughs> <laughs> 
Hopefully Indeed. he was a little bit more sober during <laughs> what yeah. he was doing in that time. If he'd had as much to drink as you had, mate, then uh, <laughs> I think uh, we wouldn't be where we are now talking about some of these toys. But, he yeah. did have some anecdotes, though, some cracking ones. Like he was talking about going to Japan quite regularly and, and did, stuff like that. He, he talked about one occasion where he went to, was it the, the Hassenfeld brothers? Is that the name of the, of the Hasbro leadership back in the time? I, don't, I can't remember if it's exactly Hassenfeld, but something like that. And uh, that they would attend an informal meeting that Hassenfeld had said very clearly is supposed to be informal. And then a group of people who had come to the meeting in suits and ties, uh, that Hassenfeld had just gone around with a pair of scissors and cut their ties and said, I said informal. <laughs> and that was one of his anecdotes from one of these meetings back in the day, which is just wild. Yeah. There, was, there was one thing that really stood out to me, and it's that story about him going to America, you know, and them taking him down into the bowels of the... Oh, yes. Of the air for, mm. and they're having the guns and the dogs out. But it wasn't even the story. It was when you mentioned what toy it was when he said shockwave. I was like, yep. why? Because obviously we didn't get shockwave. Already. So I was like, no. why did he have a shockwave? Why, where right. was he taking it? Because he was coming out of America with it, wasn't he? Yeah. So I was like, where was he taking that? Because he said, obviously, working for. Yeah, Hathaway, I think that Europe, was strange. He was, right. you know, selling the toy. He was taking it around to sell and stuff. So it's like, he's, he's obviously bringing that back. And he's like, why would he have had that if we'd never got it? Maybe a gold box classics thing. Hmm. Makes, wow. you, makes you wonder if it was something he was bringing over to look at or if it was intended for release error or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, what I'm you, saying. You look at the things that were in his possession when he was selling prototypes. He had test shot Leo Kaiser toys yeah. just with his little Andy C R&D thing that he signed all of his toys with. So there was lots of stuff in his possession that was not released. So he probably had a wide range of, of toys. And at some point, obviously, he had to do research because mm. once he started working on Transformers, it was a case of moving things in a particular direction to maybe counteract what had happened in the brand up to that point. So he'd had to do some research and look at some toys in hand. Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating to think what might have been and all of these these different elements that weren't included ultimately. And as you said, Maz, it's a bit of a shame that, you know, his memory's kind of fading on some of those events. Um, but still some cracking anecdotes, honestly. Yeah. I mean, let's not give the wrong impression. He, he was not a senile old man on no, stage. No, no, you know? no. He was no, very no. intelligent, articulated full of info it's but just like anyone isn't it yeah. as your age memories just fade don't they over yeah. time it's particularly if it's stuff that's not that important to you that memorable it might be to somebody mm. else but right exactly i mean let's not forget this was 30 years ago <laughs> so it's and it's it's one job among you know many that he's i mean these toys but he did speak super passionately about mm. rotorstorm in particular didn't he and, and yeah. stalker and uh that was great great to see it's a depth of knowledge and the way he talks about stuff, I thought was just so fascinating on every level. Yeah. You know how we tend to have this idea that, and Transformers fans talk every sort of fandom, don't they? But this idea that they know all about production almost to yeah. it. Like, you're like, I know how these toys are made. And you start talking about like GPS, like we're all experts and scientists and yeah. whatnot, every facet like that. But then you just listen to someone like him talk in the offhand stuff he says and the way he refers to stuff so quick and you're like, we don't. We know nothing. Complex. Yeah, right, it's yeah. such 100%. a different. There's so much more involved in this process than people think they know when they pick up a tiny bit of knowledge. 100%. Like, a little thing. Like we talk about mixed plastics. Like we know much about it because we can mm. use Google. But the way he talks about it is completely different. From no, he, he was a very knowledgeable. That was yeah. really one thing I got from him was not only was he very passionate, but he was a fantastic artist. And that clearly stood him in good stead for the job that he did. But he also, and he said this several times, he obviously has a very practical brain and he understood the production process from a to z so he he knew all about how it worked all throughout and i really kind of got the sense that all of that was influencing you know the the kind of choices he was making design choices that kind of thing because yeah. he, he he knew about it i remember he was saying at one point about um 
can't remember what line it was or if he gave a specific, but he was talking about, oh, one of the questions that I, got, I get asked a lot is, you know, maybe why is this little piece not painted on here or whatever? And he was saying that, you know, he gave an example and said, imagine a toy comes in and they decide that they want to shave one cent, for example. I think he said one cent because he yep. was talking in dollars one cent off the production cost of that toy and you know that might be as simple as one tiny paint application because particularly as he said you know a lot of it was done by hand in those yeah, days have to go you know, around was, one more time for another it, exactly pass. yeah it was all on a big conveyor belt and someone Factory was time employee someone was time. literally sitting yeah. there with a with a paintbrush going whoop 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 like yeah, that yeah. on every single toy with a little paintbrush so he said you know just removing that one paint application might save one cent on each toy but then he said you know some of this stuff was being shipped in not just the thousands but the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands he said so you know you add up that one cent and actually over a process of how many toys it starts to make sense about why it's a why it's a factor and i don't know i think it's all too easy for us to sit and critique this stuff sometimes and say oh well they didn't put a paint application there or whatever but i don't know the way he explained it made a lot of sense to me i asked him if he thought when he was selecting paint applications for certain toys and, and adding that extra bit of paint on someone's head crest or a little bit of a flourish here and there, if he thought children would notice yeah, if it wasn't there. And he said that's exactly what the marketing people would say to him. So, no, you, you don't need to paint that bit. You don't need to color that bit. Whereas he would say, no, I will do that because that adds immersion and that adds character and that children will notice. And I do want particular toys to look a certain way because if it was up to the marketing people and he said that they had quite a lot of clout and a lot of it was about cost cutting and meeting price points a lot of decisions fit into that criteria that a lot of that paint wouldn't have been there so he was definitely an advocate of you put more paint on there were some details that you just absolutely had to have different like the difference between colored eyes and non-colored eyes on a, a monochromatic face that does increase a child's enjoyment of something so he was very keen to point out that that was something he thought about and he was very much in favor of adding paint applications and it was just the cost that would have put it back. Yeah, I I got the sense from him that he would stretch the budget to to whatever he could. Well, he says right at the start, didn't he? One of the first things he said when he was talking about his history was that the first toy he designed, didn't he? He said that he just got a real thrill knowing that some kids were playing with it. Yep. Playing with something he designed. So you can tell he could see it. It was a rattle, wasn't it? It was a rattle with the face on. But he was really like, is like excitement for it was really clear and you could see that he could see that from a child's perspective it wasn't just engineering and you know the cost cutting and stuff like that or just it wasn't just a job as well at the same time he really got a thrill out of it so i put that into the toys oh i completely agree i was overjoyed to say to him because i got the chance to you know chatting with him and i got the chance to say that not only was like stalker and rotorstorm especially some of my favorite toys growing up um he did at that point say, don't tell me how old you are or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Because he was like it. But, and then I said to him, but the big thing for me is that Rotorstorm is one of my son's favorite toys now. And he has a, a G1 Rotorstorm that he loves. Um, and I said, not just, you know, the new, a new version or whatever. It's that same toy that you designed. And he still loves it. And I said, and it still stands out now. And we, we left, didn't we? Because we were explaining to him, Maz, about the fact that um, my son had been explaining to you how yeah. to transform Rotorstorm yeah. or whatever. And you were kind of like, yeah, I, I think I've seen it before. <laughs> I was more enthusiastic than that. Was... Yeah, it was funny. My favorite bit was when he showed you, uh, old Seveno, when he showed you the uh, G1 Bumblebee. And he was yeah. like, have you seen this before? And you were like, yes, yes, I think I have. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, I I got the sense that he was quite um I don't know just like a little bit touched because he seemed a massive smile when I said that and he was like oh that's really nice to know that you know his toys are still uh like even toys from how many years ago are still kind of being loved today by kids and I think you're right Liam I think he just has that enthusiasm for it yeah like we said earlier it's that perspective of it's a kid's toy at the end of the day and that's what he's making it for to make a kid happy and enjoy it versus now where a lot of it is nostalgia based isn't it it's a very different environment but you could see that like it really looked like it took joy from it i enjoyed that a lot you know um, freaking big track man big track (laughs) you were talking about how he, he this is a toy person who wants to make fun toys but also you mentioned how practical he was and he said one of his strengths was also that he could draw items that he knew would get made because he uh, knew yeah, yeah, he a did. lot about the practical costs. And he said a lot of our, they're working with a lot of inventors. Do you remember? He said they were like, they'd bring in yeah. like 20 inventors and, you know, they'd get very wealthy off this process. But some of them would have some totally wacky ideas that he would look at and just like, well, that's just not going to get made. Whereas he knew that some of the drawings that he was doing, he knew how to get them made because when he was designing a mold, like especially a large one piece mold. I think he was saying it in reference to an action man toy that he was showing on the screen. Yeah, it was the one of the vehicles. Yeah, which was repeatedly done over and over again. And he showed how he drew that mold and he said you can't some pieces can't be included on this mold because of the way it's removed after the injection molding process from the mold. And uh, and that was a big thing. So once this toy was produced, instead of retooling it completely, it had a lot of peripheral accessories that once they had been taken off then other accessories could be added, add a new lick of paint, and that could be marketed as a new toy. So he's basically talking about the entire repaint culture of toys and recouping costs and refreshing what was on on shelves. They had a name for it, didn't they? What did he call it? Was it line extension or something like that? Yes, something like, something that. like yeah. that. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, it was. Again, I know we talked about it earlier, but it was funny the business of him just sometimes not being aware of what toys have been made or not made or whatever because ultimately you know and sort of picking it up years later on ebay yeah yeah on ebay i know so mad isn't it Uh, one thing actually that was funny was we showed him or i showed him a picture didn't i of um generation selects rotorstorm yeah and said i don't know if you've ever seen this but look someone's made a new toy of that character that you helped to create you know and that you kind of had a hand in uh, and I showed him a picture. It was one of my pictures that I'd taken because it was the first one I could think to have to, to hand. And he looked at it, and the first thing he said was, "Oh, I really like what they've done with the legs, mm. like the dual cockpits or whatever." Yep. And I thought that was fascinating. I didn't go into the whole. Well, actually, it's like another character that they retooled into this or whatever. But I think he was just interested to see that some of the stuff is coming back. And we talked a bit about G one point five, didn't we? And sort of explaining yeah, the yeah, logic yeah. of that. So he he didn't remember, even though he had you going for a second when you he were did, talking didn't about he? the combined scope on the Predator jets and Skyquake. He was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that character." Yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I said to him, "I said, have you ever heard of of this?" And because we talked about the gimmick on the scope on Skyquake. And I said, you know, obviously there is this character. Yes, and he did. And he, he looked at me and went, oh, yeah, that guy. And I was like, does he know something? Yeah. Um, but, of course, we were talking about Hyperdrive, this mm-hmm. uh, unmade Autobot that existed at the time. Have you seen this, Liam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've seen Hyperdrive. Okay, cool. So, yeah, there's obviously you can see a picture of Hyperdrive in this scope, but the toy itself was never made. Uh, and there is a design circling the internet. But I just said to him, "Do you, I don't suppose you've got any drawings of that or whatever. And he didn't know, did he? He was like, maybe. But I did say to him, man, if you ever unearthed any of those, it would be great to see. 
And he does have loads more stuff. He does have loads. Like he didn't bring any of his Thunder Clash sketches to the show, but he knows they're there they're among all the other stuff he has. And I think now that he's seen there's a hunger for it, he's ever more likely to dig that stuff out and hopefully make a repeat appearance. That would be great. One of the things I really, really enjoyed about him was he seems very forward thinking, very forward focused. Like you said about the Rotostorm there, he was like, oh, I really like the legs. He's not someone who kept referring to them as his toys or his characters. Mm-hmm. He's protective of them anyway. You know, he'd made a comment, didn't he, about someone talking about a character to him and that. He's like, well, that's not mine. You know, he just mm-hmm. did the toy and that's not his uh, inspiration or anything like that. But I just found it fascinating that he would look at new toys and be like, wow, that's cool. But from a, that perspective, like what they've done different and stuff, rather than being like, oh, protective of it or something, you know, like some people are, aren't they? He seemed quite interested. I, you know, it was just it was just part of a conversation. But genuinely, mm. he spent, you know, a good minute or two just kind of looking at this picture and was like, oh, look at that and this and that that they've mm. done there. So it was quite interesting to see. The evil Decepticons swoop down from the skies, armed and deadly in Predator attack jets. But look out, the heroic Autobots have new technology of their own. Turbomasters! New Turbomasters versus Predators! Okay, well that's all we've got to say on the subject of the late G1 Euro development of these toys. Uh, And obviously most of that was influenced by the panel and the conversations we had with Andy Cousins, the uh, ex-head of Boys Toys for Hasbro Europe. Obviously we we can think of a few more anecdotes here and there, but we did want to keep it to a particular structure. And, you know, if you had any particular conversations with Andy or you remember something from the panel that we haven't, feel free to drop us comments on social or Patreon. And yeah, we'll happily share that as well, especially if there's another golden nugget we haven't covered. I'm really sad I didn't get to. I'm jealous of you both. I wish I had. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the highlights of the show, definitely for me. And I remember taking a photo of 6-0 with with Andy. And I think that was was fun too. I think you had Stalker in your hand, didn't you? uh, Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. His Stalker. I think I was worried I'd end up calling him Mr. Motivator. Oh my god. What a shame that you didn't. Is that why you <laughs> said that? Is that was that all all of this was just to set up that tortured joke? No. I had to listen to you guys telling me about this your meetings with him over the weekend and I just felt quite sad. Even though I was stood just away from you talking to other people. I'm it like, was when he took us to lunch that I yeah. had the best time actually. <laughs> <laughs> really generous. You a free prototype to take home to you. Yeah. Nando's as well. It's really is good. Is that why we actually couldn't get Maz out of there? Because he was secretly just trying to get back to lunch with Andy Cousins. Right. I was just trying to get my Thunder Clash back, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, Patreon. Gosh, yeah. we've done a lot of work on Patreon recently. We have, man. And you lot have done great on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. And if you do want to support us, if you want to hear this extra content that we do, and there is so much extra content now, we're talking weekly exclusive content, whether it's mini-sodes on fantastic topics like well, we're done with the TF Nation topics now, you know, all the halls and stuff like that. But we've got things like 1984 G1 catalog or cassette combiners or more about unproduced masterpiece repaints that we haven't had. If you want to hear more like this kind of thing, then sign up to our Patreon. You can get weekly exclusive content. Or if you want to hear about 6.0 reading IDW more than meets the eye, me collecting Unicron Trilogy toys. We have everything from Apologetic Ramp, where you just say thank you and then you can get early access to episodes with Man and Pig. You can vote on episode polls. You can have questions answered on the show. If you're uh, in a beast level, you have access to the Discord server. You can ask questions on there. You can be part of actual Discord Q&As if you're part of our higher tiers. At Six O's Butlers, you get the privilege of commissioning a mini-sode, which we will then cover from a list that we give you. And you can listen to those mini-sodes too. Uh, and then there's Gold Boss Classics, our brand new tier where you can actually listen to the exclusive mini series which we've just talked about and 
you'll get a one-off piece of merch when you sign up, which is, you know, what's not to love? Free gift, baby. Free gift, absolutely. So patreon.com forward slash triple takeover. So much content, so much stuff. You could have us in your ears all week without a stretch. And if you just join today, man, there is a lot of content there for you to get stuck into. There really is. For sure. I should clarify, just for the benefit of anybody not, not knowing, the the whole me and IDW more than meets the eye. It's not that I read it as in like a storybook. Someone, <laughs> someone did actually ask this at the, yeah. after the panel. They were like, oh, I was a bit disappointed to find out that it's not you just literally reading it like you would to your child or whatever. And I was like, no, that's that's not what that is. It's, it's that I read the comic and then tell you my thoughts on it. Yep. Uh, or we discuss our thoughts on it collectively. Yes, exactly. That's, that's what it is. But I, I do think that there's maybe some mileage with an additional tier where I read some fiction like that i don't know six those bedtime stories to you yeah yes. exactly mm. so seems like there's an appetite for it apparently yeah real clamoring <laughs> but uh like i said you can submit a question for at rats and cats and hire and this will be answered on the podcast we have a question from phil g which is have you ever used the toy hacks upgrade stickers i'm looking at the metroplex and Triptychon ones and they look phenomenal I'm uh, sorry to say, I haven't experienced those particular stickers. How about you guys? Not the upgrade stickers specifically. No, uh, I have some, but not the Metroplex set. But I did get some. They do lots of sets for Pretenders, G1 Pretenders. And obviously you may know that the classic stickers, if you like, the 1980 stickers that come with Pretenders are typically see-through. And so I opted for some Toy Hacks decals instead because I much prefer the opaque look. Particularly on Gunrunner is the one that sticks into my mind because the classic stickers are so see-through and obviously Gunrunner is like dark sort of red so they don't really show up even. So they, I think the Toy Hacks, personally, I think the Toy Hacks stickers look much better. But they, I have, yes, I have experienced those ones. They're really good. I mean, in general, like on the classics toys, they upgrade the toy anyway, don't they? Because they give them completely different stickers and like, they're like smaller upgrades. Yeah. I think ultimately if you like the look of the set and like for Metroplex or whatever and if you like how it looks, you're not going to be disappointed yeah. because toy hacks do great work. I do love that people ask us about toys and it's not just a podcast feature. I mean, we had people at the end of the panel. A ask, podcast about toys. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we had people ask us about this in person. So it wasn't like with our Q&A at the end of the panel, they weren't just like, so what equipment do you use? And you know, who swears the most behind the scenes? They wanted to know more about toys and they, they were valuing our opinion. People were stopping us at the show and opening the bag and saying, look, I've just bought this Energon Megatron. What do you think? And we're like, oh, that is a cool toy, you know? So they wanted to talk about toys. So it's nice that that happens outside of this. Uh, I'm not saying that you should hold off till next year for Nation for your next question, but uh, yeah, it's just nice that we're in that privileged position, I think. You guys get questions like that. I get questions about what I'm eating. That is entirely is. your own doing, mate. Somebody, you I was have in the bar eating a packet of Monster Munch. You to blame but yourself. And somebody made a joke. It's like, oh, have you got Monster Munch stuff in your pocket? And I looked down and I had. <laughs> so, <laughs> <give> me <laughs> so, you see? Yeah. And you wonder why these jokes get made. Why do people call me out on these things that I do? Yeah. It's an unfortunate series of events. That's what it was. Speaking of perks, both Sixos Butlers and Goldbox Classics get a shout out on the show. So, this list has gotten. Much longer. And uh, we've got the butlers and the GBCs mixed into this list because uh, there were certain elements of the list that we liked. And, you know, Nick's still going to be first and, you know, we're still going to end it in the same way. So here is the full list of butlers and classics now 
A massive thank you to Nick, Danny Roberts, Andy Preston, Chris, Spiderfather, Adam Schumacher, Matt, Stephen Perkins, Bat Saturday, Justin Massaro, Dale Dalrymple, Geo Kaiser Yusufa, John Pearl, Troisif, Anthony Cars, Alec Mir, Captain R. Rayfield, Jack Pelletier, Rota Storm, Stuart Webb, Amar, Laserbeak, Puma the Hunter, Vegemite Mike, Peter Hamson, Shenry, Chris Norris, Jesse Moreno, Jackson Arwood, Yip, MK Tronic, Nexus, Jim Owen, Lance Woboda, TF Starfire, Billy Gator, Andy Gold, Cold Squall, Simon Elvin, Joshuals, David Nabby, Misha Kidd, Michael Cagle, Cracktastic Plastic, Damastator, Jeffrey Freak, Nice Sideburns Andy, Chuck Pierce, Inbound Lee, John Wood, Kyla Wilmoth, Tim Energy, Campbell, Ben Lewis, Shinsei, Lucas Henkel, Mollus Koenig, Malcolm Hobbs, CNC Rick 56, and some new ones, Will Bates, Alex aka Mythic Gears, Zach Lawson, and of course the Mapes Brothers, who you might recognize and thank deeply for everything they did for us this last weekend. <laughs> what a list. What a list. Wow. I can't believe you got me to do that on stage. I was, I was just going to say, you did it live. For the people that weren't there, we got mad to do this. We were trying to get him to do it from memory, but... Uh... <laughs> wimped out on that didn't you ever so slightly then you made me download an app oh that was hilarious how do do i get the spreadsheet how do i get just go on on the Uh, app what what app what app is what app do you speak of it was still your amazement that the tfn website had your details when you were like how does it know i was like where did you where else did you buy the tickets from facial recognition (laughs) oh you're this person and here's your ticket nah witchcraft that was just nick could see when he knows what your face looks like. yes <laughs> he was the facial recognition <laughs> anyway we also have a sponsor for the evening that is tfsource.com do check them out for all your transformers and third party needs and uh, we still have all that lovely merch for you to try if you go to rebel.com forward slash people forward slash triple takeover forward slash explore you'll find all sorts of stuff like t-shirts good fun stuff and if you want to carry on this conversation with us, tell us what you got at TFN. Tell us about your experiences. Say hi. Tag us in photos you took of us. You can find us at Triple Takeover on Facebook and at Triple underscore Takeover on Instagram and Twitter. Maz, where can they find you? At TF Square One on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Sixo? I'm at Sixo TF on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Patreon. And I'm Toybox Soapbox. Anyway, there's an at. Just as G1 ended in Europe with a rotor storm in a teacup, the neon sun is setting on another episode of Triple Takeover. Shoulders back, smash it. You guys good? Should we should we hit it? Hit it. Remember, the force will be with you always. What, what? <laughs> Have you got these what? on button now, like like a streamer? You got just like this little thing. <laughs> what just happened? I don't know. Did you hear anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, one of those nights then.